Uh, we had uh, two more baptisms this week. Uh, both of them happened on Wednesday, one Wednesday morning, one uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, on Wednesday morning, a, a longtime student of uh, Randy Thompson, longtime friend of Randy Thompson, who's been visitor for our church for a number of years, was baptized. Uh, John Seawold was baptized. John, can we get you to stand and be recognized? New brother in Christ. And then uh, later that evening, about 6.30, David uh, and S.B. Norred's daughter, Victoria, was baptized. I, I don't see... Are the Norreds here this morning? I, they're not in their usual place. They, <laughs> but she was baptized, believe me. They're probably on vacation this week, as a lot of people are. But uh, Victoria was baptized this, uh, this last Wednesday night as well. And so if uh, you have a chance, you might want to grab a... Uh, one of those pink cards and make one out to, to John and make one out to Victoria and encourage them in their new faith. And then last but not least, you know, for, for a number of years, we have uh, been supporting people all over the, the world to, to spread the gospel and to work with churches and, and, and not just to preach, but, but, but to make communities better through a number of different ways. One of those including uh, medical care. And as you know, Bob and Annette Whitaker uh, are no longer in Nigeria. They are down in Swaziland, South Africa. And uh, we're still connected with them. We still pray for them every day. We still are eager for, uh, for God to use them in uh, a number of ways, not only to heal people physically of the, the different uh, ailments that the body has. Uh, you know, all over the world, people are the same. We, our bodies uh, break down from time to time. And we're thankful for the work that they do there but the way that they also help people become eternalized in their relationship with God. And uh, their son, who uh, so sophomore, sophomore, you'll be a junior next year, a junior at, uh, at Harding, living in Searcy this summer, uh, uh, is with us this morning. Ozzy uh, Whitaker is here. We'd like to have him stand. And we want you to stay standing because we, uh, we consider you and your parents to be a part of our church family, especially in the mission work that you guys do. And there's a song that we always sing to our missionaries. We love you with the love of the Lord. We love you with the love of the Lord. We see in you the glory of our King. And we love you with the love of the Lord. Thank you. And all the church said, you know, you can tell uh, you've been in a place for a long time when the kids of the missionaries, when you first meet them, are like this big. And then they get taller than you. You know, you've been around a place for a long time. We are going to study John chapter 13 and some other verses this morning out of the New Testament. Let's begin with a word of prayer. You're going to find a sermon outline inside of that announcement sheet. You can use it as we go through the study of John 13. But let's bow our heads and join our hearts together and ask God to bless us. Father, uh, gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation are just not big enough words for us to convey to You and express to You the thankfulness that we have in the full knowledge, the, the, the confidence that we have in being Your children. And knowing that we're Your children even when we let You down and we fall way short of, of those those standards that You call us to live as disciples of Your Son every day. But we commit every Sunday, Father, as we come together as a body and we commit every day when we go with our, our work plans and, and our school plans and 
all of the other plans that take us all over this community and all over this state. We commit, Father, to doing a better job of of committing ourselves to growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And this morning, Father, we we want to think about how we can love each other more deeply as as the body of Christ and, and to love people as Jesus loved all of us. And to this end, we pray that you give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We pray not to take these teachings lightly, but to embrace them and with all of our strength and intellect and all of our emotional and, 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 of, and the power of our affections, to embrace them and to be transformed by them. Please do this, Father, with this great sacred text. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a question. A question that, uh, that all of us can answer Would you agree with the statement that we live in a world that is messed up when it comes to relationships? I think all of us can answer that because a lot of us have first-hand experience with that, right? The, uh, The dark side of relationships. We've all experienced that. There is happening in uh, in National Tennessee right now, uh, started the very first week of June, a court case that some are calling the, the most expensive, largest child support court case in the history of the city of Nashville. It involves a a 33-year-old man who has fathered 22 children through 14 women. And right now they're calling it the, uh, the, the, the largest child support case ever in the history of the city of Nashville. 33 years old, 22 kids, 14 women. He says, I love all of the kids, I just can't afford them. True statement. And when asked on this uh, prolific, you know, childbearing uh, propensity that he has, he says, um, he says, I was young. I was ambitious. No kidding. I was ambitious and I love women. You can't knock me for loving women. I, I don't know. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'm going to knock a little bit. It's one thing to love a woman. It's another thing to use a woman. It's one thing to love a child. It's another thing altogether to love the idea of a child. You know, as sophisticated as we are and as sophisticated as we become in our technology and the way that we dress and and, and all of these different areas that, that you can apply sophistication to, one of the areas that we still need to work on every day is in the area of love. And as the body of Christ, there's a real reason for that. Up here on the screen, I want you to write this statement down. The distinguishing mark of the church is an incomparable love. The distinguishing mark of the church of Christ is an incomparable love. It is distinguishing and it is incomparable because it is unique and rare among human beings. Now let's go to this text that Tony read read, uh, for us a couple of minutes ago out of John chapter 13. You know this text, but I want to set it up a little bit. You'll remember that this is the last night that Jesus is with all of his friends, all of his his closest friends and associates, the guys that he has shared his life with for three years. And he has traveled around and and, uh, just prior to this last meal that he's having with them, he knows what's in their heart. He doesn't need the testimony of men about men because as John tells us at the beginning of that gospel, Jesus knows himself what is in the heart of men. And he's already had to call him into account 
for some of these arguments and these discussions that they're having along the way to Jerusalem. They're arguing over who is going to be number one in the kingdom, who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. They're jockeying for position. And Jesus, in His last meal, knows that this is, this is a stellar opportunity for Him to share some information with them. And that is what He does. And the first thing that He does is to stand up after they've eaten. And you know what He does? He's Lord of Lords. He's the King of the universe. He's the King of the kingdom of God. But He makes Himself look like a slave. He makes Himself look like a slave. And then He goes around and He begins to do something that is at the top of the most despicable, despised things that anybody, even a slave, could do in the Mediterranean world during this time. He washes their feet and dries them off. And He gets around to, uh, to, to Peter and Peter says, you know what, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, no, I'll wash yours. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And, and Jesus has to look him straight in the eye and say, Peter, unless you allow me to do this and understand what it is that I'm doing, unless you get your mind around this act, you have no part of me. And then he finishes up and he sits down. And in so doing, having washed their feet, you know what he's done? In this act, he has turned the other cheek. In this act, he's gone the extra mile. In this act of washing their feet, he has loved them even though they can't return that love to him the way that he has shown it to them, at least in this moment. And he looks them all in the eye and he says, a new command I give you. Verses 34 and 35. Love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. By this, everyone that looks at you will know that you're my disciple if you have love one for another. Now, we Americans, we're, we're so funny when it comes to this word love. I mean, we're, we're so romantic and yet we're also so messed up on the concept of it. We feel that love is kind of this optional emotion. It's this optional component of life. Even if it's not the romantic kind of love, we, we treat it as sort of a suggestion at times. And so we treat this word love and we treat all of the, 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 the entailments to it as, as if they were options, that, you know, somehow tied to the emotion of it all. That if I don't feel it, then I don't need to do it. That if I, don't, if I don't feel the emotions of love, then I certainly don't have to do the actions of love. And according to the Scripture, that is completely wrong-headed thinking. This command, not a suggestion, this command to love one another from Jesus, this command is to be filled, fulfilled by all of His disciples. Now, you know, one of the things that just kind of, when you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, that kind of pulls you out of the mainstream of behavior in the world around you, the culture around you, is the fact that God puts His Spirit in you. God puts His Spirit in you. I presume that if you are a disciple of Jesus, that you have the Spirit of God inside of you. That's one of the promises of the New Testament, that when you are baptized and have repented and confessed your faith in Jesus and your sins are washed away, one of the splendid things that happens to you one of the splendid blessings that you receive is that God puts His Spirit inside of you. And as you walk in agreement with that Spirit, as it teaches you to obey the commands, 
What happens in Galatians chapter 5 according to Paul? Fruit of the Spirit. And what is the very first word that is used to describe that fruit? What is it, church? Love. Love begins to blossom and, 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 and you, there's, there's love that buds out in your life in places where you never even knew you had buds. And you know what? You can, you can do those acts of love even though that love may not be returned to you. Why? Because of the joy, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, that's given to you. And gentleness and kindness. And you don't have to do it out of, out of, out of, out of, uh, out of some kind of duty, but you do it because of, of the way that that love is, is spreading throughout all of your pores. That's why if Jesus is important to you, And if Jesus' commands and His words are important to us as a church body, we as disciples of Jesus have to take this command in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 very, very seriously. Now, in Western Christianity, there is the belief that for churches to be successful, then they have to have uh, modern structures, they have to have a lot of technology, They have to have contemporary ministries. They have to have large staffs. They have to have large parking lots. They have to have air conditioning. Now, I I don't want to throw any of that stuff away. I've I've preached in places where there wasn't air conditioning, where you literally stuck to the back of the pew. And a soft pew is always better than a hard pew, right? And finding a place to park that's close to the building is a pretty good thing. God doesn't have anything against those things. But I would argue, but I would argue that none of those things are nearly as important, even on the same page they are good, but not nearly as important as a body of people who love each other the way that Jesus commands it in John chapter 13. It's the quality of those relationships that are formed in faith and obedience to the commands of Christ that make us a church. And that's why, number one, We need to look at these verses about loving one another and know for a fact that they are not negotiable. They're commands, not suggestions. They're commands, not options. Jesus, in fact, calls it a new command in order to get their attention and to teach a little bit more on it. Now, as we discovered last week, we are slaves to Christ Jesus, which means that He is going to have commands, not suggestions, for our lives. In 1 John chapter 4, this same John who is there in John chapter 13 and witnessed all of this, he writes to the church and he has given us this what? Say it. Command. Anyone who loves God must also do what? Love their brother and sister. In 2 John verse 6, and this is love. Then we walk in obedience to His commands as we have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in, finish it, church, love. If you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, then you are under new management. And you do not choose what you obey. In fact, know this, it's always wrong not to love. This is where Jesus came into conflict with the religious leaders of His time. When they came up to him and they, they, they tried to get him on the law and they would try to get him on some, some teaching of the rabbis, he always had some answer. And finally, this one scribe comes up to him and says, you know what, I just want you to try and sum up what all of the law is about. Let's see if you can do that. And Jesus said, here's the summary of the law, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and a second is what? 
A second is just like it. That you love your neighbor as yourself. If you are wrong on love, you cannot be right on God. This is the bottom line. Paul will say in Romans chapter 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to what? To love one another. For whoever loves others has done what? Has done what Jesus just said. Fulfilled the law. That law was helping us to understand what it meant to love other people. You want to know how to love other people? Then don't kill them. And don't covet. And learn how to forgive them. And, 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 and don't, don't steal from them. And Jesus sums it up and says, if you, want to, if you want to sum up all of the law and all of the prophets and all of those writings, then you love God with all, everything that you have. And you love your neighbor as yourself. It's non-negotiable that we love. But then number two, this love that we're called to embody as the body of Christ has a divine standard. Now most of the love in the world rarely goes beyond the minimum. Do you know why? Why does the love that is usually expressed and demonstrated in the world in any kind of a relationship barely go beyond the minimum? Why does that happen? It's because we've been taught to think over and over and over and over again that you don't invest in something where there's not a good return. We're always looking for the return. And because love is such an expensive emotion to waste, why would we waste it on a bad investment? That bad investment being somebody that's unworthy of our love and the way that we think about that person. Many Christians, you know, the unfortunate thing is that we, we find that, that secular way of thinking about love, that it's all about the investment and the return that you're going to get on that investment, it, it somehow weak, uh, wicks in and finds some way to leak into the relationships and the fabric of the fellowship of the church. And that's why we need to consider the fact that we are the recipients of Christ's love that's embodied in the cross. Instead of just thinking of ourselves as people that are, are getting that return, we, we are receiving Christ's love. We're the recipients of that Christian love and not practice love like pagans. That's the irony, is that we receive the love of Christ, we're recipients of this, this cross-formed, cruciformed type love from Christ, but what we practice among each other is a pagan love. We, we have qualifiers on the kind of people that we're going to love based on their ethnicity. If they don't look like me, smell like me, as tall as I am, or we base that love on some kind of a theological similarity? Or maybe one of the, the selective qualifiers for that kind of love and the return and all of that has, is couched in the past experiences of getting hurt. You know, when Jesus is on, the sermon, is on that mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and He's talking to those people about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, He is talking to people that know God, but they are struggling they are struggling. First century Judaism is as fragmented as it's ever been. Josephus talks about the four philosophies of Judaism. They were more fragmented than, than, than Essenes, uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and uh, uh, Zealots. There, were more, there was more to it than that. But they are so fragmented, and they don't know how to relate to each other. And Jesus says in verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. We have to stop being the recipients of Christ's love, but practicing with each other a pagan kind of love. Listen, pagans understand what it means to get an investment. They don't make dumb investments when it comes to getting a return. That's the way pagans do it. They love to consider the return on the investment. Not so with us. When Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, He's not only giving a divine command, but a divine standard. His is another kind of love. John chapter 13, Jesus has these men that He has loved and protected and He's entrusting the, the kingdom to them. But you know the story. One of them is the devil has already entered into his heart. And he is going to betray Jesus. But Jesus' kind of love is not based on the return of the investment. So as He's going around and He's washing the feet of the disciples, He doesn't spend a little extra elbow grease and get that SOS pad out on Judas's feet, does He? Jesus washes the feet of Judas knowing that Judas is going to betray him into the nightmare that is the crucifixion. And, and Jesus washes Judas' feet even when he knows that Judas is not going to respond the way that Christ wants him to respond. So is it a waste? Is it a waste for Jesus to lovingly and tenderly and gently wash the feet of Judas, knowing that Judas is going to deliver him into a nightmare. And that Judas is not going to return the investment the way that Jesus would like for him to. The answer is no. Because when that kind of love is shown into the world, that is when light breaks into the darkness. Not for a second was that action, was that love wasted because it was the love of God that was being reflected and, and penetrating the darkness of that moment. And those 11 would always remember that. And they would recall one of the things that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, that God brings His rain on the just and the unjust and makes His Son, his son to shine on, on the good and the evil. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. The message says it this way, while we were still of no good to Him. The NIV says while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. When you love people who don't deserve it, aren't expecting it, can't imagine it happening to them, and more times are not going to return that loving kind, then you are making a statement about the kingdom of God and its greatness. You know the name Jeremy Lin. He plays for the Houston Rockets. Before that, he was with the New York Knicks. Uh, during that time uh, that they were calling Lin Sanity, you know, ESPN and different sports networks were making a big deal out of, out of Jeremy Lin as this uh, kind of a flash-in-the-pan uh, guard. And I mean, all eyes were, were focused on him. And uh, during this period of time, there was a, a young writer by the uh, name of Anthony Federico. He's 28. He's writing for ESPN. And during this period of time, when all these eyes are focused on Jeremy Lin, Lin has a game where it's just turnover after turnover after turnover after turnover. And, and Federico writes this article for ESPN that, that goes viral. And on the night of the morning that he turns it in, 
Federico's on the internet kind of checking out you know, what's happening and he sees this article that he has written on Jeremy Lin has gone viral. I mean, everybody is talking about it. But they're not talking about the article in a good way because inadvertently Federico had used a, 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 a phrase that was being construed by the readers as uh, a racial slur against Asian Americans. And he saw the, 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 the hate and, and, and the vitriol of the Internet, and, it, and all of a sudden he realized what he wrote, and he saw what he had written inadvertently through the eyes of people that were looking at it the wrong way, and he went into his bathroom, in his own words, he threw up and threw up and threw up and threw up. And the next morning he's fired by ESPN, and he's out of a job. Well, Lynn, Jeremy Lynn, is a devout Christian. And he hears... Uh, about what has happened with Anthony Federico and hears that Federico is also a devout Christian. And he calls up Federico and he invites him out to lunch at a public restaurant. And they meet together. And you know what? They don't even talk about the article. They don't talk about the racial story. You know what they talk about over dinner, over lunch, in this public place while everybody is looking at him, snapping pictures? They talk about the cost of following Jesus. They talk about what it means to live kingdom values in their life every day in a city like New York. And all of these people that had, you know, waiting for this, this explosion to take place between Lynn and Federico, you know what they're doing? When they see these two Christians loving each other and supporting each other and talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus at lunch with one another, you know what they did? They scratched their heads. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. Only a different kind of love, my friends, can explain the cross of Jesus. And that's why we need to realize that loving people models our convictions about the gospel. This many times, when you love people this way, many times it unhinges people from the biases because they don't know how to respond to people who love without looking for a return on their investment. And that's why it becomes a third thing, irrefutable. It's non-negotiable. It has a divine standard. And when you love like this, it's irrefutable. In John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is one of just a couple of places. Maybe there's one, maybe two other places in the Bible where the world has an opportunity to judge the church. You know, most of the time when I read the stuff that, that, uh, that, that secular people and people that are anti-Christian, anti-church, anti-religion of any sort, when they write about what I believe as a, a Christian, I go, you know what? They got it all wrong. They, they don't know what I believe. They don't understand what it is that I believe about God, Christ, the Spirit, the church, about the mission of the church. They, they've got it all wrong. They're judging us and they don't know what they're talking about. But in John chapter 30, uh, 13 and verse 35, he says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples. You know what's implied in that? That they will also know when you're not being a disciple. And that's when you're not loving one another as Christ has loved us. And so the question is, how will San Antonio recognize that we are serious disciples of Jesus of Nazareth? Is it because we never make mistakes, we never sin? I don't think so. We make plenty. Is it because of the sign that we have over the door or the fact that we have a logo on our shirt? Or we carry around a Bible and we say thee and thou a lot? Or the fact that we even show up on Sundays? Or how about the bumper stickers? Is that how they're going to know? 
according to Jesus, they will know it by our love. Love one for another. As Jesus loved us, we love each other. And I'm telling you, friends, that will spread the agenda of the kingdom of God faster than any bumper sticker ever thought about doing it. Jesus taught that there is something in the way that we connect to each other that communicates to the world who He is. That He's powerful enough that He can take somebody like me and change my relationship with people like you and people like you with a person like me. And you know what? You just can't, you can't argue with a changed life. You can't argue with a changed life. You can't argue with a stunning love in a world that is messed up on relationships the way that this one is. You know, it is so easy to understand why God the Father loves God the Son. Isn't it? I mean, God the Son, Jesus, is beautiful. He's loving. He's faithful. He's so obedient. Jesus is easy to love. And then all of a sudden I realize that God loves me that way. That God loves me that way. And in those moments where I kind of get my mind halfway around, a quarter turn around what it means to be loved by that kind of a love of God, you know what happens? I just melt. Because in those moments I realize that there is love for me out there that is not created by my worth. There, there's a love out there that is for me that is not created by my merit or by my works or my good looks or my intelligence. But there is a love, actually a love, out there for me that creates my worth. That creates my worth. Our shepherds are going to be down here at the front and maybe you've never experienced love like that. I'm telling you, you could taste it every day and never get tired of it. So good is it. It is the most desirable thing in this world is to be loved by God that way and not just to know that you're His and that He is yours and that you spend eternity with Him, but that He's taking care of you every day. And not only taking care of you every day, but He's forgiving you every day. And He's empowering you every day to live more like Jesus. And that he's, he's never going to leave you alone. That there's not a single instance in this life where you go and you're by yourself even when there's not another human in the room. He's there with you. And there's a confidence and there's a strength that comes because of that love that He has for you. If you've never experienced it, you can experience it this morning. By having your sins washed away in baptism. By repenting and, and by confessing Jesus to be your Lord. And receiving that Holy Spirit and understanding that you've all of a sudden become something, a part of something that's bigger than the entire universe. Or it might be that you, you feel really challenged that there's a reason that you're sitting on one side of the auditorium and not the other. And it's because there's somebody on the other side of the auditorium or somebody at the back of the auditorium and that's why you sit at the front that you don't really like all that well. You've invested a part of your relationship, some of your energy, maybe some of your resources in that person and they just did not respond the way that you wanted them to. They somehow spurned whatever it was that you were giving them. They somehow have pushed back. They've resisted what it is that you were trying to, to share with them. Love that you, the love of Christ being formed in you, being shared with them. 
This is a time to make that right. And to make the, the convicting, convicted promise and commitment that you will love as Jesus has loved us. And if there's things that you need to get right with a person, you'll go before you leave today and make that right. Or if you know that, that there's, a, there's, there's a person that, that could use a relationship with you, that you, you, you could love them and, and that love could bless their life, but you've been holding back. You've allowed yourself to get too busy. There's just been too many other things and you've held back and held back and held back and held back. Today's the day to, to make that investment in another person's life with that kind of love. Or it might be that you just the, the pain is too much and you, and you need the prayers of the congregation to help you to overcome the brokenness of your heart or the prayers of your shepherds. Whatever those needs might be, the point is, where else would you let those needs be known than in a place where people love you like Jesus? If we can serve you in any way, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Let's praise God together and let those needs be known. Let's stand in. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus.